can't ignore the need. Countless souls among the peoples of the earth who do not know about Jesus. This is the heart of mission. Missionaries, cross-cultural specialists, pastors, they can all help us answer this season's big question. What small role can I play in God's big world? Thank you for joining us. Grab a cuppa and strap in as we demystify, decode and de-stress the great challenges of cross-cultural mission. Hi, Mark Peterson here, Director of CMS South Australia and Northern Territory. Stage four, cancer. That's one of the topics we're talking about today. Perhaps you know someone with cancer, or you may even be journeying with it yourself. It's terribly confronting for our lives and turns so much upside down. Our guest is Gordon Cheng. I'll let him tell his own cancer story, but he's part of our CMS team, working as the editor of our quarterly Checkpoint magazine, and he's facing the health challenge of a lifetime. What has it meant for him? How is he aware of God's provision through this challenge? And how is he reflecting on it? I found myself wondering, what has this done for his faith? Has it shaken his faith? Or is he still hanging on to his hope in Jesus? And does having faith actually make any difference to our suffering? One thing I can tell you about this interview is that Gordon is honest and vulnerable, and what he says is confronting and challenging, including his thoughts about what it would be like to die in an Eiffel Tower lift accident, maybe not where you or I were thinking this interview would go. But as the editor of this significant national mission publication, what is Gordon's own take on mission? Is there any point in mission? Who should go overseas and who should stay here? Is it something just for the nations or is it also something for my own neighbours? I hope you enjoy what was a late night conversation at St Andrews Hall in Melbourne with Gordon Cheng. Gordon Cheng, it's so great to have you with us here on the Heart of Mission podcast. It is great to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, Gordon, I've known you for a number of decades now, although it has been just in recent years that we've both found ourselves working together at CMS, though in different parts of the country. You've been with CMS now, I think, for five years in your current role. What's that experience been like for you? Uh, It's been a great and initially unexpected joy. Prior to that, I'd been uh, working in student ministry. I'd had periods of unemployment because I had an anxiety breakdown. I was recovering from that. I don't know if I was recovering very well, but I found myself at this point where this is really tricky. I need to support a family. I want to keep on going with ministry. And my wife, Fiona, found a job ad, um, said, I think you could do this job. And I said, I'll give it a go. And (laughs) CMS is a wonderful organisation and they were kind enough to offer me the job and here I am. Mm, Excellent. Now, I really want to talk to you a bit more about your role editing uh, CMS's Checkpoint magazine, but we'll come to that in a few minutes. But before that, I'm aware that you've been facing some very significant personal health challenges, uh, particularly this year, and I just wanted to go straight to it. 
you've received a diagnosis. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, sure. Well, back in January, there'd been various things going on. I thought something's not quite right. I'm not feeling strong. In the middle of COVID, life was not particularly demanding. We weren't going out partying late at night as used to be our habit. No, that's a joke. But there just wasn't a lot going on. And I was thinking, why am I so tired? Why am I so weak? And after a few funny warning signs, I got a scan and they said, you've got stage four bowel cancer. And I said, oh, um, there's a sense in which I wasn't surprised because I knew something wasn't right. But my GP was surprised. He said, no, it can't be. But the results were very clear. And so I went straight into treatment, which, thank God, has been progressing incredibly well. My oncologist is very happy. I like to say that God loves a cheerful oncologist. So I assume that this has been a very significant impact on you and the, and the family. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it, it happened suddenly. As I said, I felt in myself something's not quite right, but no one else was particularly thinking anything was going wrong. And we just caught up with the fact that this is really serious and getting over the shock of that. And then the treatment, as I say, has been remarkably effective. So it's like, in fact, so effective that I haven't stopped working at my CMS editor's job or my uh, day and a half a week at St Barnabas East Roseville as an assistant minister. God has given me the strength through all of this to continue. The moments of sadness for me have come as I look at the family. Fiona has said at times that it's like being on a track and seeing the train heading towards you and knowing you can't get out of the way, this diagnosis and this situation. Uh, one of my daughters said to me, and this was the moment where I really felt the sadness, she was saying, I was hoping you'd be around to see my children. And uh, that sort of cut to the heart. Um, so there have been moments like that, but then there have been other times where I just think this has been a most incredible opportunity for ministry. Not that I would have planned it this way, but I restarted a blog. I thought, what's the best way to keep friends and family informed and others who might want to know, I, I, I know I'll revive an old blog and just put my health updates there. And while I'm at it, I might as well talk about my perspective on what's going on as a Christian and try and, and, try and put down some of that. Yeah, I, you can look it up. It's called Gordon Cheng's blog. Just put that into the search engine and it'll pop up. Yeah, all sorts of people have read the blog and read some of the gospel content and said that it's been very helpful for them. A friend, sister, who's an absolute atheist and hasn't had any interest in it, in the gospel or things of God whatsoever, has been reading every entry. And I'm not saying anything new or remarkable in a sense. I'm saying here's what the doctor said, here's what I think about it, uh, things like don't let tomorrow's troubles concern you. Just seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Just trying to quote the Bible and what the Bible says. Not always sure if I'm believing it myself, but it's very clear the Bible speaks to the situation. And so I've been trying to communicate that. 
So it it does. You, know, you talk about, I guess, the opportunity for ministry. I suppose through conversations and through your ongoing work, people often uh, we often say that Christians suffer differently from how others suffer. You know that there, but in a sense that because we have a hope, you know, our suffering is in, put in context there. But I guess does it feel that way to you? I mean, when you're actually in the midst of this thing, do you feel like you have something that others don't have? Or, or is, it a, is there just a real, is there a reality, this, this train that Fiona talks about? Is it, and, and is it just something for others to see? I don't know. What's your perspective on that? I think it is the same suffering with a whole other dimension added to it that I simply wouldn't experience if I didn't have my trust in Jesus as the one who rescues and saves. So it's still awful to think I might not see grandchildren. It's still awful to think of Fiona's situation. She's uh, been sick for many years. She can't work. And me thinking, well, what's going to happen to her? What's going to happen to the rest of the family? It's You still go through all of that. But alongside it, there's an absolute confidence and assurance that this is part of the plan of God. You, th- you might be also saying, God, this is a lousy plan and I've got a much better one for you. <laughs> but uh, that is the reality that the Bible says. And the other thing that goes alongside that is that there are daily evidences of God's kindness at work, whether it's through family, whether it's through friends. The church family has been incredible and supportive. Uh, My friends at the Church Missionary Society have uh, just been wonderful and I take that as daily evidence of God's grace at work. And just in the circumstances of life, I'm kind of disorganised. I didn't get round to writing a will until last year when for various reasons to do with house and finances, we just had to. And that was before any of this happened. So those circumstances, the will sorted themselves out and then the diagnosis came and I thought I'd be running around like a chook with my head cut off if I hadn't got some of these things sorted out, Mm. but I had. And just the very fact that I've been able to continue to work full time, and that's bizarre for the diagnosis that I've had. So to summarise, I think the suffering's the same, but the grander, greater perspective of God in control and turning my eyes to him reassures me that suffering is in perspective. I'm very comforted by that verse in 2 Corinthians 4, is it, where Paul talks about, and he's a man who went through suffering in his life, um, our light and momentary afflictions being outweighed by the great weight of glory mm. that, that is to come. I, I know I'm paraphrasing, mm. but that's the comparison. And I think that is something I've felt to be true in my situation. Gordon, how does this affect your prayers? Have they changed at all in the way in which you pray for people or pray for things, uh, pray for yourself? Or is it, I guess, the same kind of prayers you've prayed but with different perspective? Yeah, I don't think I'm a very good prayer, so I'm not not sure if I'm the right person to ask. But, no, I've got a list of issues and friends that I regularly pray for. I pray for members of my family who are uh, not believers. Um, I pray for my neighbour who I'd love to read the Bible with him sometime. 
pray for the girls, my three daughters, for Fiona. I pray for CMS. Uh, That list has remained constant and unchanging, and I don't even know if the reality of my diagnosis has changed the things I pray for. I just think these are the things. And the other thing I do, I'm probably better at daily Bible reading because it pops up in my Bible reading plan and I just chunk my way through it. Mm. I'll often pray the prayers that the psalmist prays and the passage will often be speaking about the situation of suffering and God's glory in ways that, really resonate, and um, I pray those prayers. Uh, Yeah, so the content of the prayers hasn't changed. I don't know. I I feel like I want to say it's been revolutionised and I'm much more trusting and I'm much more faithful, but I'm just plodding on. You know, it is interesting, (laughs) isn't it? Sometimes hardship, it is sometimes harder to pray at times and... And yet you have also spoken pretty clearly about your your dependence on those promises of God and the and the fact that the that glorious hope in a sense still still awaits despite our frailty, both in our in our hearts and our bodies and our mouths and our prayers. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I actually I'll tell you what I think has changed. Um, I mentioned before I had an anxiety breakdown. I've always had this tendency towards anxiety and depression. I think what's changed now is that the depression has something to fasten onto. And in those times of darkness, when I feel like I, there's a stepping stone in front of me and then a complete blank, a wall of fog, I've just had to remind myself that to look at myself is going to make things worse and to look at Christ is going to lift me out of that because of what Christ has done for me. I try to remind myself of that. And when I think of Christ, sure enough, um, I won't say the fog lifts, but I can take that next step. In some ways, this this feels a little bit like a change of gear because I, I do want to talk about your work with Checkpoint. But I, I know that this is kind of, this, this diagnosis for you and this path that you're on obviously has affected your whole life and your whole aspect. I mean, I might ask why you're not, you know, why you're coming to work at all. But in some ways that's, that's the issue, isn't it, that you don't see your, your involvement in um, global mission and through this Checkpoint magazine, uh, which we'll come to in a minute, or through your church. You don't see that as now being pushed aside. You see that as being very much part of the, the continuity. There is a continuity, and I'll tell you why. One of the things with that sense of the approaching wall of fog or the unknown of what lies ahead is you do look back and memories of what you've done, the regrets, the good things and so on come back. But I think what what would life have been like if I'd chosen a completely different career path and made a big success of, say, being a clinical psychologist, which was what my first degree was in. And and I can imagine that I would get to this stage of thinking, well, I could be dead in a couple of months and think, what did I put all my hours into that job for, however successful or not successful I was? What did I do that for? Whereas I don't think that at all about any of the choices I've made regarding the gospel and putting my trust in God, best decision ever. Uh, 
I don't think it at all about uh, the idea of, well, I'd like to communicate the gospel as best I can to others and insofar as lies in my strength trying to do that, I don't have any regrets at all. So I just think, okay, I'm going to be plodding a bit slower now, but I'm going to keep heading in that same direction. And CMS is part of that. I'm so excited to be part of a team that supports world mission. Mm. Now, you've always been a mission enthusiast, and one of my clearest and dearest memories of our time together was from the mid-90s, I think it was, when you and I were both visiting some CMS missionaries in Paris. And uh, late one night, you and I decided to go out and climb the Eiffel Tower together. Do you remember that uh, I, I do. It was it was a fun experience. And, you know, I came home, not in Paris, but back to Sydney, and I thought to myself, you know how I'd like to die? I'd like to die in a lift failure in the Eiffel Tower. We'd be plummeting down, and the next minute, bang, I'd be gone. It'd be relatively painless, I hope. Then the next minute, I'd be there in heaven, and someone would be saying, oh, yes, I got very sick and died, and and I, I would say, well, guess what happened to me? (laughs) So what is it then about global mission that engages you and excites you? I think before necessarily talking about the global mission, just the idea of mission, it seems to me that that is to cross a culture to bring news of um, indescribable hope the forgiveness of sins and so on, um, relationship with God for eternity, uh, there is no better thought or prospect than to think that my sins could be forgiven and that I could be in relationship with the one who had forgiven me. And then the idea of communicating that to another person or lots of people preferably um, is just wonderful. You too can be forgiven. So to, to me, that that is what God has done for us, that Jesus Christ, though in very nature God, decided because of his Father's will and gladly to cross the divide between heaven and earth and come to us and live with us, as John's Gospel says, full of grace and truth, and we have seen his glory as of the only son of the father. Isn't that the most fantastic news? And now he sends us and enables us to give that same message of grace and truth to others. So I have this secret sense that we're all missionaries as Christians. Um, I know that's not how mission is normally defined, but we're all crossing cultures because we're all crossing um, to people who are not like us and sacrificing, uh, following the example of Christ, to bring that glorious message of forgiveness to them as well. Um, there's nothing better. So with, uh, with CMS and our focus on, on taking it across cultures to many different parts of the world, including parts of the world that we would call gospel poor, uh, and also to those parts of the world that really need leadership ex- uh, developed and, and discipled, um, we have this magazine, uh, Checkpoint, yes. and you're the editor for Checkpoint. What's your What's your hope for how um, how Checkpoint contributes in some way 
to the work of mission? Yes, sure. So Checkpoint magazine comes out four, four times a year. Um, I don't want to claim any sort of uh, uh, unique credit for it. It's, uh, it comes out as part of a team and there's a lot of people who contribute to it and think about it. Uh, there's an editorial panel, people from around Australia who are give, giving input. Um, there's the people who are working directly on the magazine itself and we just spent a lot of time throwing around ideas. But uh, the excitement of doing that for me is to step out of the way, to step out of the way. On the one side, you've got the, the missionaries on location doing their work of teaching that great gospel. Um, on the other hand, you've got a group of supporters largely here in Australia. There may be some in other places. But they are excited about the work the missionaries are doing and my sense is that our job in putting out Checkpoint magazine is just to get out of the way, just, just to keep those lines of communication clear. Now, um, there are already clear lines and direct lines because the missionaries are all writing back to their personal supporters um, who support CMS and saying, this is what goes on. I believe that what we're offering as part of that is to dig deep into some of the areas of mission. So uh, we've recently had an issue on Bible storytelling. We say, well, how does, how does the Bible help us? How does storytelling help us to communicate that great message of the Bible in ways that um, in a Western culture we wouldn't be so um, used to doing or in a... How does it help us communicate to a place where people don't read books? You and I just today, we're here in Melbourne. You live in Sydney, I live in Adelaide, but we're here in Melbourne and we've just visited St Paul's Cathedral today and we've been taken on this storytelling uh, trip, storytelling uh, viewing of the windows in the cathedral. Yes. And and we've heard that some of the stories of the gospel retold uh, in quite an extraordinary way, viewing those images of various scenes from the Gospels and um, and stepping into those stories, being invited by the storytellers to step into them. It's been a very energising uh, process. And you've just mentioned the storytelling edition, edition of Checkpoint. Of Checkpoint. Yes. And that is because this is a very significant thing that CMS missionaries are taught. Um, tell tell us a little bit about about what that looks like in the in the broader uh, world and different communities. You've already mentioned that there are some communities where it's you know literacy may not be um, as quite what it is here. So what would you what what's in the magazine that we should check out? Yes, so um, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? We, I, I mean, I I'll, I'll speak for myself here. We we jump to a situation where we may be dealing with people who can't read and so we're thinking of places which are largely oral cultures where uh, stories are told and certainly that's part of what goes on with Bible storytelling. It's just communicating to people in the way, the, the great truths of the gospel in the way that they want to hear them and in the way that they're used to hearing them. So that's true. But I actually also think, and um, David Williams, who wrote the lead article, pointed this out. He, he said, well, actually, um, there are plenty of people in the arts faculties in our universities who um, just think the Bible's a, 
a load of nonsense. They they wouldn't read it even if you paid them to. But there's something about storytelling that just gets under the skin and you say, well, can I tell you about the rich fool who was so confident in his wealth and his power and his independence and then God said, you fool, tonight you're, you're going to die. So what then? To me, that sort of story is one that you can approach the arrogant intellectual with and possibly cut through it in a level that a standard giving of a book or an opening of a chapter and working through a Bible study wouldn't allow you to do so. Bible storytelling is just one of those ways in which the message of the Bible can be communicated actually in a range of locations and to a variety of people. So there really is an intersection between, I guess, the the way in which Checkpoint magazine, both the print copy and also the online copy, describe what's going on in our mission fields and so on, but also in some ways it's quite challenging and encouraging for us in our own, our own witness uh, here in Australia too. Yeah, completely, uh, completely, because you can tell a Bible story as we saw today in St Paul's Cathedral in Melbourne. You can tell it to people visiting from Japan or India or uh, the United States or New Zealand and uh, that same message is there and for some it's going to be a complete surprise and for others it will be, okay, I have heard the story before but I'd never thought of it in that light. So, yes, I think the same tools that are good for our missionaries on location are tools that we can learn from and read about here. And I, I already mentioned that, well, there is a direct line of communication through prayer letters and missionaries, of course, will give you examples of how Bible storytelling might work. And so one of the things that we can do in Checkpoint magazine is to grab those uh, stories from the missionaries about what's going on, line them up under a particular theme and expose thousands of supporters around Australia to something that perhaps only two or 300 individual supporters might have heard. So we're getting that same message through to CMS supporters in a way that helps them pray for the missionaries and care for their situation, gives them reason to continue supporting CMS and also gives all of us a sense as a group of supporters around Australia that, yeah, we're uh, working in this great gospel cause as a team. One final question, Gordon. Um, what would you say to the person, I, I guess different people are in different circumstances, for some people we want to encourage them to, to learn about global mission, uh, maybe through reading. For some it might be we want to encourage them to get active through, you know, giving or praying, like you've mentioned. For some it might be the question of potentially going. We've heard from you about your own personal struggle and the way in which this recent diagnosis has really it's really put you in a difficult place and you've had to face some of these incredibly challenging things. But we want to hear your perspective to those people. What do you want to say to them about Global Mission? Sure, and I suppose when we put out our Checkpoint magazine, we always have these action points at the end and the action points are very straightforward. Pray, care, give, go. And, well, look, we can all do the first three we can, and, and, and we should do the first three. We can pray for the work that's going on. We can inform ourselves about it. We can care and that's going to take different forms in different ways um, to give because it costs money to 
keep people on location and to support them on location for the long term, and we very much want to do that. And the longer someone stays on location doing really effective and more and more effective work, the harder it becomes in the sense that out of sight, out of mind, we don't like to say it, but it's true of all of us. You just forget what's up. And and so, yes, what we wanted to do is say to people, well, don't forget, they're still there and they still need to be supported and in some ways they need to be supported more the longer they're there. Yeah, and the idea of going, well, actually, yeah, that's not for everyone. And uh, at the age of 25, um, especially if you might be doing some Bible study and you're fairly energetic, you don't have any obvious disadvantages, uh, you can do anything. You absolutely can. And you think, oh, yeah, being a missionary, that'd be hard work, but I I could do it with God's help. (laughs) As time goes on and as you see the reality of situations and you think actually being a missionary is very, very, very hard work, um, I don't want to take away any sense of enthusiasm for those people who do still want to go, but it isn't for everyone. Mm. And part of what CMS does is help us find our part in the body. Mm. What's my part? Is my part to go and speak the gospel to people who really don't want to hear it in another location or is it to pray for them and care and give so that they can stay there and do that work while here at home in my own backyard, um, I can be praying for my neighbour and doing exactly the same thing over the garden fence, um, at least theologically speaking. Uh, that great news of forgiveness is for them as well as for the people on location. Uh, that sounds all a bit scrambled now and I think about it, but I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. Gordon, I've been looking forward to this interview for quite some time now. Thank you so much for sharing personally and also sharing about your passion for mission and for the work that you're able to do through Checkpoint and and CMS. It's been great to have you with us. Thanks for being on the Heart of Mission podcast. Thank you. And it's a great joy to have been here with you. Well, that interview was a real treat. And I'm very thankful for Gordon's willingness to come on the podcast. His perspectives remind me that I have more and more been thinking that churches and Christians need ongoing education and engagement in global mission. The work of God overseas and the challenges that Christians face all around the world are in the hard basket for us as Christians, but is that the too hard basket? I wonder if there's a risk that we become myopic as Christians if we're only aware of what's happening in our own locality and our own Christian circles. After all, the Scriptures tell us that our gospel is a global gospel and that Christ will be worshipped by people from every nation. How do we go about regularly letting ourselves be exposed to the realities of what God is doing in other places? Well, Checkpoint is a great start. It's a quarterly free publication, and if you'd like copies to be mailed to you, contact your local CMS branch. You can also find Checkpoint articles on our website. Go to cms.org.au slash checkpoint-blog and just check the show notes if you want to make sure you've got that address right. But also, have you ever been to one of CMS's summer conferences? They happen all around the country in, yes, summer. Check your local branch for info. 
Next episode, we're off to the Middle East, an incredibly vibrant part of the world, not only in terms of culture and the rugged landscape, but also in terms of the work that the Holy Spirit has been doing. Warwick and Caroline headed overseas about eight years ago, full of good ideas and bucket loads of enthusiasm. And as we know, things never turn out the way we plan. So what has witnessing in the Middle East looked like for them? I reckon you're going to be pretty amazed. But they do also have a word of challenge for any of us running small groups. In the meantime, to find out more about CMS and opportunities that might be there for you, search us on the web to find your local branch and local social media channels. We work with churches to set apart, equip and support long-term workers who cross cultures to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ for a world that knows Jesus. See you next time.